start by, there's four takeaways that I'm, I want to pull out of this chapter, and I'm going to go ahead and give you them ahead of time so that we can point them out as we're reading through the chapter. Number one, if you can click to the next slide, is when the Holy Ghost is poured out, you will speak with other tongues. Number two, God responds to faith. Number three, without consecration, you have no power in God. And number four, the gospel is life-altering. Okay, so let's start with verse number one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So we find that he's in Ephesus. I don't know if it helps you guys, but it kind of helps me to picture where things are at in my mind. So I pulled up a nifty little map. We can go to the next slide. Um, who's good at geography? Because, like, I'm not. So my husband gave me a geography lesson. But I found this map, and um, modern-day Ephesus is actually in Turkey, um, which is interesting because Turkey was the country that we did uh, a couple years ago on our around-the-world dinner. Do you all remember that? Um, anyway, so it's attached to Asia, I think. I mean, I think that's what the map says. And um, my next map is, if you can go ahead and, yeah. Um, you can actually see Ephesus right there. It's a coastal city. And you can see, like, Jerusalem right here. Paul was from Tarsus up here. So, you know, that's a good distance away. And he didn't have a plane. So he's spending probably a, a really long time traveling to all these cities. Um, anyway, so does that, you, can you picture that? Where is that in your head on the map in response to where we're at in the U.S.? Okay, moving on. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost? So he's talking to these disciples that he found in Ephesus. Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So I was thinking, you know, how have they not heard about the Holy Ghost? This is really widespread. But as we're going to figure out later on, Ephesus is really engrossed in culture um, of worshiping this false god named Diana, and it's going to come up later in this chapter. So these people have been baptized unto John's baptism, as we see in the next verse. But they have not heard the gospel of Jesus. They may not have even known that he was alive. We don't know that for sure. But um, then Paul said, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So we already know that their heart was turned toward God because they received the gift of the Holy Ghost when they were baptized and they were prayed for. Their heart was already there, so they were desiring to live a holy lifestyle, and the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. And we kind of see that um, in our church today, we do a lot of laying on of hands, and we take that example from this, and you might wonder, well, why do we do that? Because there's no power in these physical hands. But it's God working through your hands, and it's working on your faith. 
So don't confuse that with that Paul had magic hands and that only these type of miracles are with him because this was God working through him. So we can move on to verse 7. And all the men were about 12. And he went into the synagogue and, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened, that just means um, like different people, non-believers, um, and believe not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. So these people are getting up before them and saying, um, this isn't true. They're speaking evil of what Paul is teaching. And he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus, or Tyrannus. And so he's pulling these people away from what Paul is preaching and uh, disputing. It, Tyrannus is just a, I, I looked it up, it's just a person who owned a lecture hall. Um, so um, I'm assuming that he had some sort of school where he would lecture and give speeches because um, they didn't have phones back then. And so they did like a lot of listening and to one another get read letters, give speeches, and that kind of thing. And the majority of the people couldn't read also. So the, the ones who could read would read and teach to them. And so um, that's kind of what was happening. They were pulling them away and trying to not spread the gospel of Jesus. And this continued for a space of two years, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. So that verse is kind of interesting to me because the one before it is talking about how there's discord and someone's sowing discord, and that was happening for two years. But regardless, the word of God is being taught to everyone, Jews and Greeks. So it's still prevailing. Verse number 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So then again, this is also kind of a, a weird thing that, you know, Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons were given to people, and then they were healed. And so you're thinking, are these magic handkerchiefs? And, and no, again, this is an operation of faith. So Paul had consecration unto the Lord, and he invoked a spirit of faith among the people because he was preaching truth. And the faith that the people had was activated whenever the handkerchiefs and whenever they were laid hands upon. It was not magic. It was the power of the Lord. Verse number, um, actually, I want to go to Ephesians. The next slide is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, because it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, no, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we can see that there's other biblical evidence that you are not saved just by grace, just by your works. You're also you're saved by faith. And it's a gift of God. It's God pouring that out upon you. And it's not by the works of men. It's not by the works of fleshly hands. So moving on in Acts. Chapter, or verse 13, I'm sorry. Then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists. So the way I, I could be wrong, the way that I read this is, um, y'all know what exorcists are, right? They cast out demons and um, in the mainstream media, they 
do a lot of like incantations and casting out devils and like um it kind of seems like witchcraft which it which it is sometimes but you know um that stuff actually happens and so the way that I read this is that there were traveling Jews that practiced as exorcists going around casting out demons. So they took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. So they're calling upon someone who has an evil spirit in them. And the name of the Lord Jesus, they pray in the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So this exorcist is calling upon Jesus, but he has no consecration with him. He's saying, whom Paul preacheth. He doesn't know Jesus. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. That's who is doing the exorcism. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? He didn't know them. Because whenever your relationship with God is... It's powerful, and you actually have a relationship with God. Jesus knows you, but so do the evil spirits. And if you have no weight with God, if you have no, you haven't put in any time with the Lord, the evil spirits are like, you have no power because you have no Jesus in you. And so they're like, forget you. We're going to do what we want. And that's what they did. The evil spirit answered, said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Not the evil spirit, the man leaped on them. The evil spirit was causing him to do this. And he overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. He beat them up, kicked their butt. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on everyone. That would be pretty scary, right? I would probably run as well and just like... See ya. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So through that situation, the Lord was magnified. Even though it does not talk it does not say that the evil spirit was cast out. It may have been eventually, but it does not say that in the scripture. But regardless, Jesus was magnified. So we can see that it's the power of God and people recognize it, and that is what is magnified. Verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. So after all of this happened, they're like, you know, this is serious. We're going to come and confess. And many of them also, which used curious arts, and brought their books together. Curious arts just meaning maybe witchcraft, just ungodly things. Brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So, later on in the chapter, we're going to see that people sell these books and these trinkets that are used to worship this, this goddess Diana, and that's their business, that's their economy, and they burned everything. They didn't give it away and sell it, they burned it. They completely destroyed it and said, I want no part in this, and the price was 50,000 pieces of silver, and, you know, to us, we're like, you know, okay, 50,000. You know, if you think maybe it's $50,000, it's not. It's millions of dollars. This was a big deal back then. They burned a ton of goods that were worth a ton of money. So this call would cause a huge impact in their economy. Because not only were they just burning their possessions, they had a mindset change. And you're going to see later in the chapter how that affects their economy. 
So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Verse 21. This is where I kind of start to get really interested because, um, like I said, uh, we're getting into their economy kind of. And I like that because I'm an accountant and then, you know, anyway. After these things that were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, um, I think Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. He's talking about where he needs to go. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So he stayed there. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about the way. Verse number 24. Here it goes. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation. So he's a silversmith. He called other people that do um, similar trades as to him. They're making idols. They're making things that make them money that uh, represent Diana, and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. This is our livelihood, and they're disrupting that. This is how we make our money. This is how we feed our family. And moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost all throughout Asia, so not just Ephesus, but he recognizes that this is going everywhere, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So the little trinkets and the little idols that they're making and to make money off of, Paul is saying you can't make God with your hands. And this is distracting people from their business. And so he's all worked up because he's like, I'm going to be losing a lot of money. They just burned stuff that's worth 50,000 pieces of silver, and I know I'm going to be losing money because of that. Verse number 27. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. So he seems pretty dedicated to her. He's like, not only am I going to be losing money, but she's losing worshipers. And people are going to despise her and hate her. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. So I started doing some research because I know that in high school, I learned about some Greek goddesses and some Roman gods, and I recognized the name Diana. And so I just wanted to look it up and see if it's the same mythological god. Turns out, um, scholars think that it's not. Um, that Diana was a goddess that was introduced, created in Ephesus. And she took on the, she had completely different attributes than the Greek and the Roman gods, but due to Greek and Roman control, she started to take on attributes of those Roman and Greek gods. So she kind of is the same, but originally she was not created for that purpose. But regardless, this is a mythological goddess that they created with their hands to worship, and they built a temple. And have you all heard of the Temple of Dianus, Diana, Temple of Diana at Ephesus? It's actually one of the wonders of the ancient world. That's her. That's her temple that we're talking about. Because I remember that from world history. And it's no longer there. Um, I think there's like one column standing. But I thought that was kind of cool because um, you kind of also see that the Bible is true based on historical facts. 
and it's like, okay, this is what the Bible is talking about. It also has historical accuracy. So, little side note. Um, but when they heard this saying, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, Aristarchus, I don't, Aristarchus, I don't know, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. So, in your mind, picture all of these people. I don't know how many people lived in Ephesus, but, you know, it was a lot. And they're all, there's a group saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. They're all shouting this. The next verse says that they're filled with confusion. So the onlookers, the people passing by, are like, what's going on? And, you know, they're kind of creating a, a, the beginnings of a mob. And it goes on to say that the people that Paul was with said, don't enter into the theater because they didn't want him to get hurt, of course. But a certain of the chief of Asia, Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure into the theater. They didn't want him going in because these people are confused, and but they're shouting Diana's name, and it can become dangerous pretty quick because some of them are, are pretty mad about it. And you go on to see that... Um, in verse 33, they, well, verse 34, but when they knew that he was a Jew, they, they took someone and, who was it, Alexander, they put him up and they were going to try and get him to speak, but whenever they realized that he was a Jew, they cried out with one voice, everyone together, all of a sudden they have unity. And they cried out for two hours, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So this is a protest, what we would call it nowadays. And they're, you know, maybe have their pitchforks and their sign, their picket sign, I don't know. But, you know, they're shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours. That's some commitment. Um, you know, I can't say that I would be anywhere shouting anything for two hours. Um, Maybe it would depend on what it is. I don't know. But anyway, so they were all mad. They were pumped up, and they were, like, ready to just, like, destroy someone who said anything against Diana, their goddess. But someone who was wise um, got up and spoke in front of them. It was a town clerk in verse 35. He said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? So he's basically just saying, You know that us Ephesians are loyal to Diana. Why are you making a fuss? This isn't that big of a deal. We belong to Diana. Seeing that these cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. So... Don't cause a scene, don't act out of anger. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open. Meaning, if you have a problem, you can take it to court. The law is open. You can, there's other ways to do this. There are deputies, let them that implead one another, let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined, determined in a lawful assembly, like court. For we are in danger of being called into question for this day's uproar, there being 
no cause whereby we may give an account for this concourse. So they're being, they're approaching being in danger for causing this uproar in their city, for causing a mob, for causing this disturbance that's going on for two hours, and we have no reason for it. So, you know, it's not like Paul got up and, like, punched someone and, you know, there's, like, a conflict going on that that caused all this. It's just that he's preaching and everyone kind of got mad about it. And so they're going on for the space of two hours. But, and when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. So we can kind of assume that they calmed down and they dispersed. You know, everything went on to be okay. So that's the end of the chapter. But going back to my my four takeaway points, if you can kind of go back to that slide. Uh, Number one, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, you will speak with other tongues. The reason I wanted to make note of this is because in this chapter, whenever Paul laid his hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, it explicitly says that they spoke with other tongues. But I like to listen to different commentaries, and I was listening to one on the book of Acts, and it was making a case that in other chapters it does not say that they spoke with other tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. but And so they were using that as a defense to say that speaking with other tongues is not necessary. And immediately I was like, that's not true because of what I know is in the Bible. So the first verse that popped in my head was, I think it's Hebrews 13, Eight, I believe, but it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so that goes to show me that something in, that it's in his word is, is not going to be different from Acts chapter 2 and then be completely different in Acts chapter 3. If it says that in Acts chapter 2 they received the Holy Ghost and they spake with other tongues, that means in Acts chapter 3 that when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues, regardless if they said it or not, because we know that our God is constant. He God is impossible. It's impossible for him to contradict himself. So, number two, God responds to faith. The reason I thought that's important is because we have the instance of God laying, or Paul laying his hands on people, and then his handkerchiefs being a method in which people were healed or received miracles. And it's important to note that it's not any sort of sorcery or magic or just that Paul was, Paul was a great man. But it's not that fact that caused all of this stuff to happen. Uh, God chose Paul for a specific reason. We can see throughout his life that um, he was a very devoted Jew. And he followed the law. That's why he was persecuting Christians because he felt that that was what, it was blasphemous. That's what he thought until the Lord showed himself on that road to Damascus and said, you're persecuting me. I am Jesus. I am God. And Paul had the realization. So God chose Paul to do all of these special miracles because that's what the time needed. That's what the people needed whenever God was establishing his church. And you may say, why don't we see that today? And it's not because um, certain people aren't consecrated enough. It's just that God chooses to use everyone differently. So we shouldn't be, you know, jealous that Paul was used to lay hands on people and to um, have people healed by just having his handkerchief because that's what God chose for him. God has chosen you guys in a different way to work other miracles and to work other things through faith. 
So the faith of the people that Paul was laying his hands upon was activated upon him laying his hands on them. And the people that were healed by holding a handkerchief or being prayed with with the handkerchief, their faith was activated. And it was the power of God. Does that make sense? I wanted that point to be very clear because we are not superstitious people where you can just, you know, rub a little bit of oil on a handkerchief and then be protected from evil spirits. It's not the act of putting the oil on the handkerchief. It's the consecration and the faith and the power of God that goes into that. Is that, is that point clear? Okay. So that goes into number three. Without consecration, there's no power in God. So like with the sons of Sceva, they had zero power by using the name of Jesus because they did not know Jesus. So you guys cannot go to your friends and your peers and lay your hands on them if you've been involving yourself in sin on the weekdays. It will not it will be to no avail. And it's sin, in my opinion, because you're taking, uh, this might be wrong, you can correct me, um, but you're using the Lord's name in vain because it's to no avail. You're trying to use the name of Jesus on someone to accomplish your will whenever you have no power in God because you haven't spent time with Jesus. You don't know him. Number four, the gospel is life-altering. And this is my favorite, favorite point because it involves the entire second half of this chapter. You see that Paul is going into Ephesus and he's changing everything. He's changing people's mindset. He's changing their economy. And just by preaching what he knows to be truth, he's preaching the gospel. And people are burning their books, burning their idols. And what that tells me is that you guys have that same power. You guys know the truth. It's right here in black and white. You've been taught and read, and you guys have been taught it your entire life, and you have the, uh, the opportunity to read it. And some people don't in other countries. And whenever you start teaching people and proclaiming the gospel, you can change your school. That's immediately what I thought of, is Paul changed the culture and the economy of Ephesus, but you guys have the opportunity to change your school. You go in and you preach the name of Jesus, and people start throwing away their drugs. People start turning their lives around and following Jesus because you preach the name of Jesus. But like I said, you can't do that unless you have consecration. So to get to number four to where the gospel is altering people's lives around you, you have to spend time in prayer and fasting. And that's what I take away from this chapter. And it's so powerful because every one of you have the opportunity to experience that and to change someone's life for the better. And remember that it's not by your hands. It's not for you to be able to boast, but it's for the glory of God. Uh, Anybody have any questions on... Uh, anything that was taught uh, at all during our series on the book of Acts or a question that has come up while you've been reading the book of Acts. Um, This is, of course, we're going to have our word before world, but this is our last teaching Sunday on the book of Acts, so now would be a good time to ask a question. Um, If if you've read anyone that came, any question, any verse you didn't understand or any teaching that you didn't understand clearly, 
of course, if you if you uh, want to ask a question privately, you're more than welcome. Any of youth team, you can ask them a question. Um, but anybody, oh, I hope you've been paying attention. Um, those of you that are interested in teaching Bible studies, um, Acts two, Acts eight, which we didn't get to cover um, here, but you've read it, Acts. 10 and Acts 19, those are really good chapters to turn people to that are Bible-believing Christians to point to what do you do with these examples in Scripture where people are baptized in Jesus' name and they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I hope you've listened. I hope you've taken notes. I hope you've uh, got those chapters down in your heart. I hope you've been reading the Word before world and certainly appreciate uh, all the teachers that have taught, so Brother Thomas, Sister Hannah, for so I hope that you've got that in your heart. And if you have any questions, I want you to talk to us. And well, you need to know what you believe. You need to know what you believe. All right? So let's bow our heads, and we're going to pray a prayer of dismissal. God, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for the lesson that went forth. We thank you, God, for your word. I pray that you would settle it in the minds and the hearts of these young people. I pray, God, that you would bless and that you would touch them and that you would strengthen them. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.